You're listening to the ESPN Radio 94.1 podcast page, accelerated by Sports Innovation X. Six is bridging the gap between tech, athletes, and teams. Check them out at sportsinnovationx.com. Hampton Roads has a long-running high school and college sports tradition. It's time to give them the spotlight they deserve. This is the 757 at 6 on Priority Auto Sports Radio 94.1. That's right. This is the 757 at 6. Robbie Vogler is the name my mother gave to me. And I am thankful to be here on a Wednesday. It is a big day, not only for the 757 at 6, but for the station. I'm not going to make any official announcement because I don't know if there's an announcement that I'm allowed to make. Nobody has told me, hey, don't or do. But there's been some news recently that has involved this station. If you want to go to our Twitter page, at ESPN Radio 941, there's something there that is an announcement, and it's a, a big announcement. It is in regards to the afternoon drive selection, the 3 to 7 o'clock hours of programming right here on Priority Auto Sports Radio 94.1. And uh, it's an exciting time. If you you are a sports fan of the 757, if you are a sports fan of any team in the National Football League, the NBA, college football, professional athletes, major league, anything. If you are a sports fan in general, it's a big announcement, and you'll want to head on over to our Twitter page at ESPN Radio 941 on Twitter. And the only reason I'm directing you there, you're probably like, Robbie, why don't you just tell us? Well, again, I don't know if I'm authorized to tell you. So that's why I'm not telling you. Just know that something big is happening and it will be uh, it'll be coming your way through the airwaves July 31st. So in less than two weeks time, there's some uh, some big changes happening right here on the Priority Auto Sports Radio 94.1. Again, go check out our Twitter feed if uh, you want to know what the big announcement is because I am not authorized to or not to tell you what the big announcement is. So there we are. That being said, I'm still here, and I got some things I got to talk about and I want to talk about because today is going to be an interesting uh, episode of the 757 at 6. We are here until 7 o'clock. We are going to be talking or uh, replaying our conversation since the Open Championship is starts tomorrow morning. I figured it was probably a good thing to kind of get an expert's opinion on the Open Championship. So Will earlier last week uh, spoke to Hall of Famer, Major Champion Curtis Strange. We'll be replaying that conversation here in just a few moments. We'll also be returning to our conversation with Wood Seelig from earlier today in the first hour in that 3 o'clock hour. We'll be talking to him um, and... We're going to be reacting to it in, in Robbie's roundout. So a lot of things going on. I got a lot of things to say about what Wood Seelig said. Good, bad, and different. Very confusing things that he said. But at the end of the day, he is a, a connoisseur. I don't know if connoisseur is the right word. He is a maestro with the words that he says. And there is a reason why he is the athletic director at Old Dominion University. Because he is very good at what he does. And he has been able to... Uh, to present very good products on the field most years. Obviously, there's a lot of things that fans would love to have different. I'm sure 
Uh, some some more success in football would make a lot of fans happier than in years past. But hopefully this year we'll uh, we'll see some improvement in that as well. We're going to be talking about the baseball stadium and all that stuff. I got thoughts on that. Don't you worry. That's coming up toward the end of the show on Robbie's Roundout. But I want to focus on before we head to break and head into that conversation with Curtis Strange. Matt Fitzgerald. Excuse me. Hunter Fitzgerald. I read a Matt Fitzgerald somewhere earlier and I got confused. Hunter Fitzgerald has signed a non-drafty free agent deal with the Seattle Mariners. ODU baseball, great from this past season, was the ODU leader in home runs, hits, RBIs, runs, total bases. Man, he he had everything on tap. He was an all-sunbelt first-team selection. He was a Dick Hauser Trophy semifinalist. He was one of the premier athletes. If you went to a game this season for Old Dominion Baseball, you most likely saw some sort of something special from Hunter Fitzgerald. And it's exciting that he's going to be able to continue his his career at the next level, signing a, a non-drafted free agency deal with the Seattle Mariners. And, and I'm really excited. I'll tell you that I'm, I'm super really, I'm really excited to see how this is. Cause we talked about it a couple of weeks ago with Matt Kootenay kind of being called up to the next division in the LA angels organization. And it's so much fun to, to track athletes that maybe weren't drafted in the first or second rounds in major league baseball. Does it happen often where those athletes and those baseball players make a big run to the pros? It doesn't happen often. But it does happen from time to time where you will get those outliers that start at the lower levels that may have a short leash if they don't kind of compete very well but that will continue to grind through the minor leagues. They'll continue to be called up and eventually they will make an impact in Major League Baseball. So I expect Hunter Fitzgerald to do the exact same thing. And not only because I I saw a lot of him play this year, I saw a lot of the games. He is a great player. And, And I'm not just saying that because we sometimes carry Old Dominion baseball games on our airwaves. I'm I'm not just, you know, waxing poetic. I'm not trying to put lipstick on a pig. No. Hunter Fitzgerald is the real deal. And I think with Old Dominion not having a stellar year, I think if Old Dominion would have made it a little bit further in the Sunbelt tournament, and if they potentially would have earned a spot at the NCAA tournament range, Hunter Fitzgerald would have been drafted this year. And Old Dominion obviously had some some picks earlier in the draft, and they've had picks this over the last couple of years that that have amounted to some things. And I met, I mentioned Matt Kootenay. He he is a, a a prime example of somebody that can make an impact working their way through the minor league program and working their way up through the the single A, the rookie ball, the double A, the triple A ranks. And, and it would not surprise me in the next couple of years if we saw Matt Kootenay on the Angels roster or at least ship somewhere where he can be used in a more dynamic role. And I hope that we get that from Matt Kootenay. I hope we get that from the, the LA angels organization. And I also hope that we get that right here from Hunter Fitzgerald. I hope that he becomes a valuable piece to the Seattle Mariners 
farm system. I hope he becomes a, a grind type of athlete that doesn't want to ever give up on his dream. And I'm not saying he needs to be a guy that, that wants to be content with staying in the minors for his the rest of his life playing professional baseball. But I want him to be an impact player on a team that I believe has a bright future. And I want Hunter Fitzgerald to be a a big part of that bright future with the Seattle Mariners. So congratulations to Hunter Fitzgerald on signing a non-drafted free agent deal with the Seattle Mariners. Again, he led ODU in pretty much every important category that you want a hitter to, to contribute. And it's just so great. It's so great to see uh, Old Dominion athletes getting to continue their passion and getting to continue their dream at the next level and and make that dream become a reality. Coming up here in just a little bit, you're going to hear two conversations. One, you're going to hear our conversation with Curtis Strange from last week previewing the Open Championship that begins tomorrow morning at like 1.50 a.m. East Coast time. But you're also, after that, you're going to be uh, hearing a conversation with Wood Seelig that we had earlier today. And then, of course, I'll be rounding things out with Robbie's roundout on the end of both of those conversations to talk about the baseball stadium and so much more of that conversation that we'll had with Dr. Wood Seelig from earlier today. That's coming up. Stay tuned right here. Stick it right here to the Priority Auto Sports Radio 94.175 at 6. More to come. Welcome back to Priority Auto Sports Radio 94.1. I am Will Driscoll, the Executive Director of the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame, taking you through the afternoon here on the Afternoon Drive today. And while we've had a lot to talk about in the sports world, we are going to pause that conversation just for a few minutes and talk a little golf. We are actually thrilled to be joined by 2004 Virginia Sports Hall of Fame inductee and two-time U.S. Open champion, and 17-time PGA Tour champion, Curtis Strange. Curtis Strange joins us on the phone right now. Curtis, great to talk to you. Happy uh, happy you're able to join us for a few moments today. Hey, Will, thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure. Well, we appreciate that. And we're going to talk a little golf because looking ahead to next week, we go into the fourth major of the season, the Open Championship, the 151st Open Championship. This year's event will be hosted at Royal Liverpool Hoylake, as it is also known to some of the locals over there in the northwest corner of England. This will be the 13th time Royal Liverpool is hosting the Open. What do you know about the course? I know you didn't play an Open at this venue when you were playing, but what do you know about the course? Give us some insight into what the players can expect. Well, it's it's very similar to all the Lynx courses over there. They all have their own personalities, but from us, in the states that play more of a an air game uh they're all very similar uh i i actually know a little bit my first british amateur it was a week after the walker cup which was at st andrews in 75 yes we went right to hoylake and played there and it's some of the most horrendous weather i've ever played in my life (laughs) that week and uh then they didn't go back there for for many many years for the open championship um don't know why, uh, uh, but they're back on the road now. And uh, we did the TV there, for, I don't know, five, six years ago, seven years ago. So I got reacquainted with it. A little different layout than what we used to play, but uh, good golf course, not as tough as some of the others. But as we've all seen over the years, the, the toughness of, of, of one of the Rota golf courses for the Open 
is not priority. The priority is 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 getting it set up the way they want to set it up, which is just regular links golf, and let their weather dictate. And that's the key for them is is, is playing over there. Is it, it the difficulty depends so much on the wind and the weather. You know, that's a great point, because when we talk about uh, a tournament like the U.S. Open, which you're a two-time champion of, and, and also I should also mention a 2007 World Golf Hall of Fame inductee, but the two-time, you know, the U.S. Open bills itself as the toughest test in golf, and we see that with some of the courses and how they set up the rough, they narrow the fairways, and they really, I mean, some of the scores sometimes are in the, are in the plus numbers. So when you're setting up a course, when the RNA is setting up a course for the British Open, are they... Are they upset when the weather doesn't play a factor? Absolutely not. <laughs> um, their 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 goal is to get thousands and thousands of people around the golf course uh, to have the players. Uh, you know, obviously they get the course in the best shape it is, and they might grow some more rough than they normally would have on everyday play. And absolutely, they do that. But they don't narrow the fairways. They don't make the greens even harder and faster. They might make them a shade faster, but remember, the wind blows, so they can never have them 12, 13, 14 throw on the step because it just doesn't work over there. Whenever we, we played, well, not we played, we did the TV at St. Andrews a couple of times when I was at ESPN and ABC. But one year we had a wind, you know, the, the sun was out and we had a wind delay. And we were able to come back out an hour or so later because the greens were running about 10 on the step. And they know that. So they set it up accordingly. And um, that's their priority. Uh, it's Score is not – they don't have an object score out there, even par, two or three under, or whatever it might be. They let the players dictate the score. And they're of the mindset that – these players are better than they were yesterday, and yesterday they were better than they were back in the 1900s and turn of the century. So they're supposed to shoot better scores, aren't they? You know, and the, the past decade really kind of reflects that. Seven of the, the last eight Open champions have been 15 under or better. And, and even looking specific to this course, you mentioned that for many years they didn't, they didn't go back here. So it was 1967 with Roberto DiVincenzo, but then 2006, 2014, 06 champion was Tiger Woods, 18 under. 14 champion Rory McIlroy, 17 under. Should we expect more of the same this week or next week? I should say. You know what we just talked about is all weather determined, and if they have a bad week weather-wise, the scores will be up. If the wind blows, the scores will be up. Let's not forget that the conditions have, have been much improved in the states over the years in conditions on, on especially putting greens. They have vastly improved over there. And for the Open Championship, uh, much, much smoother surfaces, a little bit quicker, which we're used to. The whole golf course is, is much improved over the years. And I think that the length of the golf ball and the size of the players have maybe uh, the, the final result has maybe been greater over there than here because the courses aren't as long over there. And when these guys launch it, it's just shorter clubs into these small kind of undulating linksy greens and it makes it much easier and if they get a good weather stretch which they have had of late scores will be low every year I'm happy you mentioned the the golf ball because obviously that's kind of been in the news for for the golf fans they they know what we're talking about trying to kind of deaden the ball a little bit to to eliminate some of the the length that the players have had do you think that that was really driven by the partners over at the RNA and not the USGA and PGA you know I don't know uh there's rumors uh, I think 
Michael Wan, who is now the executive director, CEO of the USGA, hits his second year. I think he came in with that as a priority. Mm-hmm. I think uh, Keith Pelly over there, the head of the the uh, uh, European Tour, that's a priority for him. So when you get two minds alike, they're gonna they're gonna try to do something. Uh, it's still in the conversation stage. Does it really happen? We don't know, but I actually think something's going to happen. Uh, there's a lot of moving parts here in the golf ball. You got manufacturers, you have players. It only affects you know, 1% of the golfers in this world, maybe less than that, the professionals. So do you want to change the rules for just a very small number of people who play professionally? Uh, and then, you you know, you've got promoting of the manufacturers of golf balls. You've got who plays it. Do colleges play it? Do many tour players play it? You've got a lot of unanswered questions, but they seem to be more aggressive in talking about it now and, and maybe going to get something done. But, who knows? Uh, it's it's you know the one part of the, the one part of the equation that people don't give much credit to is the size and the athleticism of these players. They're all six two, six three, six four. Most of them now, the incre- incredible leverage. The golf clubs fit them very well. So. Uh, there's a lot of moving parts in this on why the ball goes so far. Yeah, you know, sometimes we're always looking to dial things back. You know, it, it hadn't it hadn't hit my game. Let me take it. <laughs> <laughs> Those moving parts have sidestepped me. <laughs> yeah, you know, and that's funny because we're always trying to find ways. Okay, well, what what's the answer? Well, the answer is probably that these are just great athletes, and we should probably you know be appreciative of the kind of artistry that we're seeing out there. Um, we could probably dive into the inside baseball to use a term about golf, you and me, but let, let's kind of get it back for the, the listeners talking about the actual <laughs> tournament. But from a preparation standpoint, obviously this is a very different tournament than, like you said, what we play over here in the States. We there yeah. While we have Lynx courses, it's not Lynx like this. Um, take us back to your your time playing. How How would you start preparing for the week of the Open Championship? You know, I didn't. Uh, I, I I could adjust, you know. They talk about trying to hit draws before Augusta, thinking about Augusta holes. You know, when you do your job every day and practice as hard as you can, and you try to be the best you can be every day, then I can't do anything else. I I started to adjust when I went to the British Open. Now I will say this: one of the big, biggest regrets of my life was not embracing the Open Championship like I should have in my career. I did it later on, but it was too late. But anyway, that said. Uh, you know, I'd get there on we fly overnight on Sunday, get there Monday morning, go right to the golf course. And, you know, you look at the weather forecast, you look at the greens, you look at the golf course, uh, and, and not only trying to learn the golf course, but you're trying to get ready for what, what the weather's going to dictate, lies you're going to have. And obviously the ball is played more on the ground, but not as much as people think, because if the wind doesn't blow, you play just like you do in the U.S., high in the air, the one big difference playing over there and here is that over here when the ball hits the ground, you can control where it goes in most cases. Over there, if it's firm and fast like it normally is, you don't. So you, you have a tough time controlling it in the air as always if the wind blows, but now you have a tough time controlling it once it hits the ground. And that was always the big question mark for me, and I never really embraced that. I never got a feel for that as well as I should have on hitting these low shots and let it run 30, 40, 50 yards. I think that's something you have to do for 
a, a great amount of time and get it, get it inbred and in, in your system, in your DNA. And, and uh, some did it better than others. The, the golf fans that are listening will remember the putting display that Cam Smith put on last year to, to win the Open Championship. Is there a statistic that we should be looking at as fans going into next week as we're watching the tournament that says if this player is, is in the top three in this category, whether it's greens and regulation, fairways hit, is there something that we can start to look at that may correlate to the, the champion lifting the claret jug on Sunday? Well, first of all, Cam Smith can putt <laughs> on your driveway in a, on a shag carpet. Turtle shell. <laughs> the National Greens. Uh, he's, he's, he's very, very good. And, you know, when you're putting, he has a beautiful stroke. But it's also it's that sixth sense that he has, that feel, that hand-eye coordination that might be a little bit better than the next guy. Ben Crenshaw, Tom Watson, the great putters have that. They're born with it. Uh, I, you know, it's it's a combination of things to play well at the, at the Open Championship. Number one, I think, is always patience because it's a little bit different game. You're going to have a good bounce, a bad bounce. You've got to be able to adjust to the different conditions. Uh, patience is a big part of it. Tom Watson was, was a big proponent of that, and therefore he won five Open Championships. But, uh, you know, you've got to hit the ball in the center of the club face every time because it's going to blow a little bit. Uh, and just... I don't know. You just have to play well. I mean, it's not a, it's, it's no, really no secrets to it. Good players do well in big tournaments. Is there a hole or two that we should be looking at that could determine, on this course specifically, uh, is there a hole or two that we should be looking at that could determine the Open Championship? Not necessarily here at Hoy Lake. Uh, you know, Hoy Lake to me is a little bit nondescript. Uh, doesn't make it any less challenging or less good golf course. It's just, it's just, a little bit nondescript when you think about St. Andrews and Muirfield or Carnoustie. So, uh, but that, that said, it's still a great golf course. Uh, I just I, I remember back when Tiger Woods won there the first time they went there back, I don't know, 15, 18 years ago now, and he never hit a driver or a three-wood off the tee. He hit all iron. So that, to me, takes a large when, – when you can win a tournament and never hit a wood, basically, that takes a, a huge part of the game out of the equation. And I don't know if that's good or bad. I don't particularly like it, but uh, it was playing hard and fast that week. He's certainly a long hitter with long irons, great long iron player, and he got it done. But he had to be precise because he's, he's hit much longer clubs into the green. So obviously he's very good, uh, one of the two best of all time. But I like to see guys hit drivers. It's, mm-hmm. it's the second most important part of the game. Put it in the fairway, sets up the rest of the hole, and then you're going to make some putts. Yeah, they're, they're, I mean, grip it and rip it. Um, <laughs> it's definitely well, a part of the game. Well, though. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have to – I mean, I want to see them hit driver, but the grip it and rip it thing is just because of the length that they hit it. But there comes a time on links courses or shorter golf courses when their priority is to put it in the fairway. Now, not necessarily with a two or three iron, but with a driver or three wood, kind of hit that sachet out there. Don't rip it, but try to hit that cut out there, that, the, the shot that you have to hit to put it in the fairway on the last hole. That's the way you play golf in my day. When we look at the three major winners of this year, John Rahm, Brooks Kepka, Wyndham Clark, would you, would you lean towards picking one of them to get a second major or the field? Oh, gosh. You know, we, we talk about that every major. <laughs> uh, uh, it's hard to pick. and you got to put Scotty Scheffler in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you take the four of them or the field? 
my goodness, it's 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 disrespecting the field if you take those four. Um, I, it, it's hard to take four players against against another 120 or 30 players that are wonderful players, and which includes Cam Smith and and many other great players. Um, wow. I'm going to go out on a limb because you're putting four players in there. I don't think Wyndham Clark was a fluke winner at the U.S. Open. He is not a fluke winner. Uh, John Rahm is dominant. Scotty Scheffler is dominant. Cam Smith can be was going to be dominant until he left to live. Um, I'm going to pass on that one. I want to see the best player win. I don't know. I'm not a betting man. So yeah. I don't know. I I think it's hard to go against the field. That's a very diplomatic answer, but that being said, there are a ton of great golfers, and I think that the golf, the game of golf is in a in a pretty good spot. You, I'll get you out of here on this, just because we're talking about British Open, and you and I have talked about this before, but for a new audience, I kind of want them to hear your perspective. Speaking specifically about the British Open, you were on the call for one of the most iconic moments, not just in golf, but quite possibly sports history, and that was at the 99 British Open at Carnoustie, Jean Vandeveld on the 72nd hole. What from that whole scenario just sticks out in your mind to this day? Other than everything. Well, uh, I felt for him. Uh, to recap, Vandeveld had a three-shot lead standing on the last hole and made triple and then lost in the playoff. Um, made poor decision after poor decision. Mike Tariq and I were calling it. Our producer told us on the 18th tee, Curtis might go, everybody else shut up. And so I think uh, Mike and I did a show some years ago on recap and looking at the film again, and I think we did a tremendous job because we let let silence play. Silence was the, the, the greatest sound you didn't hear. Uh, during that, uh, I don't know, 35 or 40 minute segment. Um, it's tough to call something like that uh, as a golfer, as an athlete, as a guy who's been in that position. It's tough to call because you want to see people finish like a champion and win. And he didn't do it. And we've all lost big tournaments. And so I knew if he'd lost this, how detrimental it was going to be could be to his career and it was uh, he's got to put his head on the pillow every night and think what what if i'd have done this what if i'd have done that so um we we try to prepare as, as working tv to prepare for those moments all this preparation you know you don't use 80 percent of what you prepare to say or do but you have to be ready for that moment and i think we were and uh it was a um, you know, I said it's the most stupid thing I've ever seen in my life. And after years and years of rehashing it, it's still the most stupid thing in my life. Not saying he's a stupid guy at all. Brilliant guy. But he did some stupid things on that last hole. Yeah, almost a quarter century later, and it's still, to this day, even as a, a sports fan like myself, it's one of, if I were to pick a... Probably, I wouldn't call it a Mount Rushmore, but just a, a top five of iconic scenes. Him standing in the burn at Carnoustie 
uh, in front of the green it is one that will always register. Well, we know yeah. that you uh, we know the time is short. We know that you got a little bit of a, a fishing tournament that, that you're participating in this week. But I do want to thank you for your time. The uh, 151st Open Championship begins next Thursday, the 20th at Royal Liverpool in Hoylake. And Curtis, it's always good catching up with you talking about your experience on the course as well as your experience in the broadcast booth. So thanks for taking some time for us today. Well, thanks so much for having me, and uh, everybody enjoy the Open. It's always a special special time of the year. It's different. You don't see that type of golf every day in the U.S., uh, and uh, enjoy. It'll be a great week, as always. Thank you, Curtis. That was two-time U.S. Open champion and 2004 Virginia Sports Hall of Fame inductee Curtis Strange. This is the Afternoon Drive on Priority Auto Sports Radio 94.1. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back to the Afternoon Drive on Priority Auto Sports Radio 94.1. Will Driscoll and Robbie Vogler taking you up to 6 o'clock. And it's Wednesday, and that means we are joined by a third person on the team this afternoon, and that is Old Dominion University Director of Athletics, Wood Selig. Wood, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Well, how are you doing on this rainy Wednesday? I'm inside, so I'm dry, so I'm doing pretty well. <laughs> Lucky you. I, I pity the people who are out there driving in this right now. That, that's right. Hopefully they're listening to the updates. We're giving them on the traffic. <laughs> well, we know we know time is short with you every week, but we like to pack a lot in. But let's get right to the news of the day. You all at ODU made the announcement today that you're actually going to delay the makeover for the baseball stadium, Bud Matheny Ballpark, to ensure that the renovation affects just one season. What all went into that decision, and how did you come to the ultimate decision to delay the the construction on the new stadium yeah we knew it was going to be a very aggressive timeline to have the stadium ready for the 25 season in effect we would have really had to start almost right now and and honestly the, the the state has not passed a budget and all of the capital projects across the commonwealth are somewhat tied in to the the the, the state having a budget and until we receive an approved budget and an authorized project, we can't proceed with the renovation of the Bud Matheny complex. So we really thought, like, you know, it'd be, it'd be risky to, to try and push forward with uh, playing away in 24 and hoping we'd have a renovated stadium by 25. We felt like that could completely explode uh, in our faces, and we'd end up missing not only 24, but most likely 25. So the safe bet was to go ahead and, and play one more year on campus and then be prepared as soon as the 24 season ends. We would be ready to, just like we did with SB Ballard Stadium, right after the last pitch or the last kick, uh, you wall the stadium off and you start doing renovations. And hopefully within 12 months, uh, it, it could be ready, uh, but we'd have more than 12 months uh, to start the following season. So minimize the risk of missing, uh, but but just one season on campus. Can you compare the two projects uh, between SB Ballard Stadium and the new baseball stadium as far as scope? You mentioned that you guys had that great, I think it was against VMI was the last game, or maybe I'm, I'm getting that wrong. No, but right. Yeah, That's so exactly. the last game was VMI, and it seemed like the next day there, were all, there was already work being done. Is that going to be the case after the 2024 baseball season next year? That will not be the case because we paid dearly for overtime with SB Ballard Stadium. We were literally running three crews 
uh, 24 hours a day. We were running three eight-hour crews or some 10- and 12-hour crews. So we had a lot of, of extra comp time tied up into S.B. Ballard because we really didn't have any option yeah. but to play you know, you know, at, at S.B. Ballard Stadium. Fortunately for baseball, uh, we can work around the construction, give them a little bit more time, and play off campus for one season. And we will not be running crews, two and three crews a day on that project. So it will take a little bit longer than the football stadium. And that's a natural question for people to ask. Like, yeah. Well, gosh, you, you did a football stadium in nine months. What do you mean a, a little teeny baseball stadium that only holds you know 2,500? How can that take longer than a football stadium? We really packed two years into one. Of, of construction and renovation in the football stadium. Well, pack up that answer you just gave me and make sure you give that to everybody who asks because I think that explained <laughs> it pretty well. <laughs> Perfect. We'll do it. We've been we've been talking a lot of football here recently, obviously, because training camps are starting. We know that the the colleges are going to be back on the field soon. But big week next week for Sunbelt Conference. It's the conference media days for football, July 25th and 26th in New Orleans. Give us a little bit of a peek behind the curtains at what goes on at media days outside of all the press conferences that we see. It, it's a great chance for the member institutions, athletic directors, head football coaches, student athletes from all of the 14 Sunbelt Conference institutions and media from all 14 schools, from the media markets, both locally, regionally, and nationally, to get together in New Orleans to celebrate the start of another football season and to celebrate Sunbelt Conference football. So the way the conference does it is we are divided into two divisions throughout the football season, the East and the West. So uh, this year, the first day of Media Day for football will feature the West Division and those seven institutions who comprise the West Division of the Sunbelt Conference, the head coaches, and everyone will bring one or two student athletes and a number of media markets and representatives, their radio network, their print, some TV folks. Uh, so it will be de- devoted to the West. And then the second day is devoted to the East. Obviously, Old Dominion is in the East Division. And it's a great chance for members of the media and certainly each of the institutions' in-house media, the radio people, uh, the social media. They get a chance to interview the head coaches from all 14 schools, athletes from all 14 schools. So when it comes time to play those institutions throughout the year, you've got information and content already stored and in the can, and it can help you promote and and sell the upcoming matchup against the Sunbelt Conference rival. Well, I know that fans all over the Commonwealth and especially here in Hampton Roads are excited to hear from Coach Ronnie and some of the some of the football players that, that will be traveling down there. But as a director of athletics, what are you hoping to accomplish at Media Days? Are there is there an agenda that you want to make sure that you get done while you're down there? Yeah, I think it's really a time to to get to know the other coaches well, to get to know the Sunbelt Conference staff well because invariably there are going to be issues that arise throughout the season, whether it's a call during a game, whether it, it might be a, you know, unsportsmanlike, it might be a situation that happens when you're on the road, and it helps to resolve issues when you have uh, at least a familiarity and you know, maybe in some cases a, a friendship with the others. You tend to work through things better when you know people, than if you have you know, very little 
familiarity or knowledge with the individual that you are dealing with. So I, I think, you know, you never want those kind of things to come up, but invariably they do. That's part of sports. It's part of athletics. Uh, decisions have to be made, uh, and it's easier to make them in a collegial manner if you know the people who are involved in making those decisions. Last year was was the big year of change for the Sun Belt with the ODUs and the JMUs coming into the conference and, and realignment really affecting the conference. This year, it seems that all the big boys are dealing with the realignment, with this being the last year for Texas and Oklahoma in the Big 12 moving to the SEC. Same with USC and UCLA. Is it a little bit more, are you at more peace this year going into the media days because there isn't that upheaval going on within the conference? It's actually kind of flying a little bit more under the radar? Absolutely. We've all been through a year together. We feel really good about our number, 14. Uh, we had our expansion tucked away. Schools moved early. JMU obviously left the CAA. Uh, the three Conference USA schools, Marshall, Southern Miss, ODU, paid a, a, an exit fee to get out a year early because we felt like it was important enough for our fans, our institutions, and certainly our coaches and student-athletes to get a head start in the Sunbelt Conference. So all these expansions that you mentioned, and you know, with the AAC taking six members of Conference USA and the SEC moves, you know, this is going to be the first year to go through it for all of them. We've already gone through that. We feel really good about you know, what we learned, what we experienced. So uh, there is a, a certain amount of calmness now as we start year two in the Sunbelt Conference. Well, hopefully you get a chance to relax before you get down to New Orleans. It's a very difficult place to relax. So I, I don't know if that was strategic on the conference's part, but uh, but I'm sure you guys will have some late nights, but some fun times. And I know that we'll all be looking forward to, I guess, what it would be July 26th, which is the East Day for the Sunbelt Conference Media Day. So safe travels, and we will definitely catch up with you next week. That. Sounds great. Thank you, Will. Have a great week. Absolutely. Thank you, Wood. That was D- Old Dominion University Director of Athletics, Wood Seelig, joining us right here on the Afternoon Drive. The clock is running out on the 757 at 6. That means it's time for Robbie's Roundup. Or wait a minute. It's Robbie's Roundabout or Robbie's Roundout. Whatever he's calling it today, here's Robbie Vogler on Priority Auto Sports Radio 94.1. Oh, yeah. What's going on? Robbie Vogler, Robbie's Roundout, about to round out the 757 at 6. Right here on Priority Auto Sports Radio 94.1. I teased a big announcement coming for the station. If you haven't done so already, head on over to our Twitter page at ESPN Radio 941. If you want to know what that announcement is, and I'm not going to say it live on the air because I have I have not been authorized to do so. So nobody has said, hey, you can't do it, but nobody else also said you can do it. But the, the press release is out there. The, uh, the, the, the people have spoken, and it's out there. So if you want to know what's happening July 31st of this year, of really this month in just less than two weeks, then head on over to our Twitter page, and uh, you can see the whole announcement there because I'm not going to say it on the air. Not because I don't want to. I've got nothing against the announcement. I just think it's, you know, I, I haven't been told to say it. I haven't been told not to say it. So I'm just going to tease it and say, hey, head on over to Twitter and uh, give us a like, give us a, a follow, and and check out the big announcement. 
Speaking of big announcements, and talk about that for a tease. So yesterday, before we get to the big announcement about the baseball stadium and things like that, we we made a um, the $1 billion Powerball has not been won yet. And this kind of goes on with what I want to talk about with Dr. Wood Seelig and, and, and that conversation that Will had with him earlier today. I... If I had over a billion dollars, if I had just won hundreds of millions of dollars, I would, this is what I would do. I would first, I don't know if my, this would be my first purchase. I know that's the, that was the question of the day yesterday, but one of my first purchases would be to donate as much money as needed to be so that the baseball stadium is ready by next season. Is that too difficult to ask? And and, and I and I understand what you're saying. Robbie, you didn't even go to Old Dominion. You cover them for a living. So why in the world would you want... Because I love Old Dominion baseball. It may be one of my favorite things to go and watch on just a random Saturday afternoon, Sunday afternoon. I don't live too far from Old Dominion's campus. And I want to be able to go and watch Old Dominion's uh, baseball stadium and, and watch Old Dominion play baseball in a very good stadium. And right now their stadium is just not that very good. It's serviceable, obviously. It's done very well for themselves. But I would make sure they had the best stadium in college baseball. And I would make sure it got done by the beginning of next season. And, and and that's just, you know, obviously it would be named Big Red Ballpark or, or you know, Robbie Vogler, you know, Park or something. I, I don't even know. I'm just saying. Big Red Park or Big Red Ballpark sounds amazing. So that's out there. And if I win the Powerball... That's what's going to happen. I'm going to I'm going to call up Wood Seal. I'm going to be like, "Hey Wood. So I know you had to put your thing on delay. I I get it. But what if I told you that I could fund every bit of construction, every bit of overtime and we could get the baseball stadium done by next season? Cuz right now all you're telling me is that they are going to be in the baseball stadium this coming up year, the old one. Then you are going to start renovations, whether it's to you know tear it down and then build it back up, whatever the case may be. The moment after the final pitch is pitched, you are going to say, all right, people, it's time to leave. And then you are going to say, okay, it may be time to leave, but we have to stay. We have to put some barriers around and we are going to make this ballpark great for two years down the road. And that's all fine and dandy, but I don't want to wait two years. I'm not a very patient person. I'm learning that more and more the older I get, and I'm not even that old, but I hate being patient. I hate waiting for things that I want right now, and if I win the Powerball, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to call up Wood and say, hey, I got the money. Let's make it happen. Because I want to see Old Dominion be able to host postseason play I want to see them host postseason tournaments I I want to see this because I truly do believe that they are one of the top teams 
in the country when they can be good. And and I've been saying this for a while. You play on a good stadium. You play in a good facility. You're going to feel better about the product that you're putting out on, on the field. And I truly do believe that that is something that once this happens, once this kind of gets under control, we are going to see a lot better input and, lot, and people are going to want to come and play for Old Dominion. And I think that is so important as well. That's going to wrap things up for the 7 5, 7 at 6, and Robbie's roundout on a Wednesday edition tomorrow. A little shortened show. We're off at about 6.50 or so, maybe a little bit before that, because uh, we've got Norfolk Tides baseball tomorrow. We'll be talking about that and so much more. Have a great, great rest of your evening, wherever you may be, wherever you may be going. Hope you enjoy it. Have a wonderful, wonderful hump day to finish out your Wednesday. We will talk to you tomorrow. Until then, for Will Driscoll, I'm Robbie Vogler. Thank you so much to Will and Wood Seelig and, of course, Curtis Strange, who joined the show last week as well. Until tomorrow, have a great one. We'll talk to you soon. Later!